This month's throwback encore presentation of Blue Sky features Bert Jacobs, co-founder of the Life is Good Company. I'm pleased to bring this back to you all as it was one of our most popular episodes of last year. This could be because Life is Good is a remarkable company and one that was quite literally founded on the idea that optimism is a superpower. And it doesn't hurt that Bert has a remarkable story and really interesting thoughts on business and the vital role it must play if we as a society will meet any of our long-term goals. From the studios of the Optimism Institute, welcome to the Blue Sky Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Burke, and in every Blue Sky episode, we'll be speaking to leaders, researchers, and thinkers whose stories and insights will remind us that there is always blue sky above. Sometimes you just have to get your head above the clouds to see it. My guest today is Bert Jacobs, the co-founder of the $150 million lifestyle brand, Life is Good. When he and his brother John started the company in 1994, they had $78 in their pockets, lived out of their van, and sold t-shirts on the streets of Boston. According to his corporate bio, this was their way of avoiding the real world. But we now know that it turned into something much bigger. It's been nearly 30 years since they sold their first t-shirt, but Bert and John champion the same mission today, to spread the power of optimism. On their journey, they've been inspired by a vibrant community of resilient optimists who constantly demonstrate the depth and meaning behind three simple words, life is good. While Bert and John believe life is good, they also know life isn't perfect, which is why Life is Good donates 10% of its annual net profits to the Life is Good Kids Foundation, which helps over a million kids overcome the impact of poverty, violence, and illness each year. In making their company a fully integrated for-profit, non-profit model, the brothers hope to use their business as a vehicle to do good in the world. In this conversation, Bert describes how he emerged from his less than easy childhood to create a brand built on the belief that optimism is a superpower. We'll talk about the powerful role that businesses can play in making the world a better place and how he hopes to see the Life is Good brand live on well after it's time for he and his brother John to step aside. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the co-founder of Life is Good, Bert Jacobs. Bert Jacobs, welcome to the Blue Sky Podcast. Hey, good to be here, Bill. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of our time today talking about your company, your philosophy, um, but I'd like to start where it all started with you when you were a kid. I, I know a little bit about your story um, and the way I've heard you describe it. Your parents had money for two kids, but they wound up having six. So you didn't always have it easy. Could you describe what your household was like and maybe how you became the person that you became? You know, everything's relative. So the first thing I want to say is we, we grew up in a great town outside of Boston, but that doesn't preclude you from uh, li living below the line of poverty, which technically we did. And uh, so it was a you know, beautiful suburban town where most people had a two-car garage and you know whatever they needed, which in some ways made it more challenging because people didn't understand it. You know, they, they didn't understand the family, you know, running out of food uh, a few days before payday. So, I mean, I think we're really ordinary people. So my younger brother, John, you know, is my business partner and we're the fifth and sixth of six kids. And uh, my dad worked in a machine shop 
and mom raised the kids, you know, kind of old school. I know that they had all the right intentions. And in fact, they did all the important things. We, we at some level, always knew that we were loved and that we were safe. But I think things really fell apart when John and I were very young and they were already in economic trouble. They were already over their, over their heads with, with the six kids. But they got in a car accident and um, it was a near death experience for my dad. And, you know, they first were going to amputate one leg and one arm. But they didn't end up doing that. He came to in the middle of the night and, and said that he didn't want that to happen, even if he could never use them. He just didn't want people to staring at him or whatever. And that was a good thing because he ended up regaining ability to walk with that leg. He never regained the use of the right arm. And um, I think, and, and he, he kind of tried to piece these things together as an adult looking back. I think that was the beginning of depression for him. He, he was a, a gifted craftsman and an outdoor enthusiast. And, um, you know, he, he couldn't do the things he loved. And I think that combined with knowing that economically they were up against something that just wasn't working. Uh, I think he felt responsible and he, he just became depressed and nobody used to talk about it that way. Again, I'm, I'm saying it, you know, uh, they would talk about our dad as an alcoholic. They would talk about our dad as somebody who lost his temper a lot and screamed and yelled. <clears throat> but I think those were byproducts of depression. And interestingly enough for, for people who started a company called Life is Good, our mother was depressed too. So um, it's kind of an odd thing and not what people expect to hear about uh, the background of Life is Good, but it's the, the reality. And um, the difference between our mom and our dad was that our mom's coping skills were not alcohol and yelling and screaming. They were singing, uh, music, uh, art, storytelling, dancing, you know, she even as a little kid, she'd pull us out of the seat and make us dance with her. And she was always singing and always telling crazy stories. And um, that was the beginning of things for us. No, and it sounds like that's, it was your mom's sense of positivity and storytelling and lightness. And despite her own challenges that she, she, you had told a story one time, she'd sit down at the dinner table and say, tell us, tell me something good that happened today. You're right. It, it really was, um, it was our mom and the way she dealt with things. I mean, part of the central philosophy at Life is Good is that you're not going to stop challenging and difficult and bad things from happening in the world. They're, they're going to happen. How we deal with it and, and how we perceive the world around us is, is what Life is Good is all about. You know, so we like to say life, life isn't easy, life isn't perfect, but life is good. And I think, you know, that's what our mom taught us more than anything was that you know, her life was never going to be perfect and our life was never going to be perfect, but let's focus on the good things because it's good for our health and it gives us more than a fighting chance. And so she did that as a ritual at the dinner table. And I think when we started with Life is Good, we, we didn't realize how much it was influenced. The ideas were influenced by her. But after several years in business, as we look back and you try to codify these things and write them down, we were basically writing the lessons we learned as, as kids. And, uh, you know, you kind of hit yourself in the head like, oh, obviously, you know, but, um, you know, we're like anybody else. When you're growing up, you think your parents are people whose job has always been to raise you. 
and and that's to but they're actually people you know with with lives and challenges and they had a life before you and so i think that that perspective when we were older made us say aha you know that, that there's where that came from I wanted Bert to tell his personal story as I've always found it to be very inspiring. His parents struggled, but they did the best they could and took care of what Bert describes as the important stuff. Bert and his siblings knew that they were loved and that they were safe. And as he says, he and his brother also learned bad things are gonna happen. It's how you deal with them that makes the difference. Life isn't easy, life isn't perfect, but life is good. Going back to our conversation, I asked Bert about the roots of his entrepreneurial spirit. And you and John, somewhere you had this entrepreneurial spark, uh, but it didn't start out as life is good. You guys were selling t-shirts out of your car, the enterprise. Yeah. So if you could talk about, so if you had that entrepreneurial spark and then how'd you stumble into Jake and optimism and life is good and all that? Yeah, well, I I do remember the first conversation thinking about the idea of of running your own business. Like, you know, as a kid, you, you hear of occupations, a fireman, a policeman, a doctor, a priest, I, I don't know. You know, these are things that, okay, what are you going to be when you grow up? A teacher, you know, things that you see. And um, my dad used to have us sit down once a week and watch the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau. And, uh, you know, he traveled around in the, in the Calypso, the boat, and it was amazing, adventures all over the world. So one day I remember watching it and asking him what, you know, I was quite young, like maybe like second grade or something. And I said, what, what is his job? And my father said, he's an adventurer, an explorer. And I said, how did he get that job? And he said, uh, he just made it up. Some people just make up their own jobs. And I remember I didn't quite get it. And I walked away after that. And I think obviously my dad was having one of his good nights, you know, when, if, if he was talking to you and not screaming at you, then he was having a good night. And I went to bed thinking, well, why would anyone ever do anything different? If you, if you can go make your own job up and you can do something like be an adventurer or explorer, why, why would anyone do anything different? You know, and that idea never, never left. So, um, I think you couple that with, you know, one of the things our mom did a lot when the dysfunction in the home was rising was she would get out crayons and paper and say, um, use your imagination and you can go anywhere on these, on the paper. And she was quite a good artist and she taught us how to draw. And, um, she taught us that idea that your imagination can take you anywhere. And so it might've been a little bit of a escapism, um, but it was super healthy and fun. And so we became pretty good at doodling and drawing and all those kind of things. And so when we got out of school, the, for both John and I, that idea of not getting a job was still very attractive. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you know, you, you couple that with the drawing skills. We, we just said, okay, maybe we can create a job in, in the world of art. And I think that we ended up in T-shirts because everything else was intimidating. You know, like you walk into a fine art gallery. I don't know how that works. I still don't know how it works. It's like that's over both of our heads. You know, it's just like, I don't know. How how does all of that work? And how can you make a living dedicating yourself to sculpture or oil painting? I 
it's probably, you know, as, as hard as making a living trying to make music. It's really, really difficult. And for most people, it ends up a fantasy. But the idea of creating artwork that we could immediately put on T-shirts, you know, we, we, weren't, we didn't have our own brand or anything. We were putting them on Hanes T-shirts or Fruit of the Loom or whatever was on sale that week. And we could get out in the street and sell them. And so that was, we got a charge out of it right away. It was, you know, we might not have been selling a lot, but just the idea that we could get our hands on the business and we could get out in the street and do something. And we, so we started doing it every day. So the Calypso was, was your van. Yeah. The Calypso ended up being the van that we, that we called the enterprise. Um, yeah. Everything. You watched some Star Trek too. Television, right? So Star <laughs> Trek in those days, you know? Yeah, we called it the Enterprise and told each other we were going to boldly go where no T-shirt guys have gone before. <laughs> Which you and did. we used to joke about it because it, it wasn't a cool van. It was like a we bought it at an auction. It was like a soccer mom van. You know, it's not the van guys in their early 20s want to drive around in. Right. But we pulled the seats out of it and traveled in that van. And we went from selling in Boston to selling um, dormitories up and down the East Coast uh, door to door. And we slept in the van at night. And, um, you know, we, we actually did that for five and a half years. I love Bert's story about watching Jacques Cousteau with his dad. I used to do the same thing. And I can still remember getting the giggles on the episode when Jacques described the Calypso traveling to Lake Titicaca. This also reminded me that another person I worked with, Ted Turner, became interested in taking care of the environment from watching that very same show. He and Jacques Cousteau later became close friends, and we aired his series back in the 90s when I worked at TBS. Hearing how this man also inspired Bert makes me consider what a huge, long-lasting, and positive impact one life, in this case Jacques Cousteau's, can have on the world. And now back to Bert and the early roots of Life is Good, the Jacobs brothers on road trips in their soccer mom van. When we started those road trips, like when we first started selling, uh, John was still at UMass, right? It was 1989. And he graduates the next year, but we've been working together on this. And, you know, whenever he's home, we're, we're out selling them. And then when he graduates, we're doing it full time. We did it until 1994. In 1994, we were on one of these road trips and we started having a conversation about how the media does kind of the opposite. When I say the media, not all media. Okay, hopefully not this podcast. No. But most media focuses on what's wrong with the world. It preys on our fears. It's hard to argue with, with that fact, that, that um, things that, that make you afraid sell and people are drawn towards their fears. So we, we understood it, but we were like, this is kind of the opposite of the lesson we learned at the dinner table with our mother. Tell me something good that happened today. And, and it's a bummer. And it's, uh, you know, collectively for all of us, it's a, it's a difficult reality that we're surrounded by this kind of filtering, a pessimistic filtering of what's actually going on in the world. You know, to be clear, then and now, we wouldn't want the news to show only good things. Bad things happen, and we should we should have focus on those things. You know, if there's if Russia's going to attack Ukraine, you don't hide that. You know, you you talk about it. So we never wanted to run away from those things. But what we don't get is a balance. You know, and so 
the idea for life is good and, and Jake and his dog Rocket, you know, as simple characters were just, you know, the idea of like a superhero whose power was his optimism. And so like, no matter what happens, he has this great healthy disposition and therefore he's, he's open and other people want to meet him and he's fun. And, you know, we talked about all these things like he isn't great of every, at, at everything, but he tries, he gets out and, you know, which is kind of like us. We're, we're, we're not, right. we're not exceptional people. You know, there's a lot of people that <laughs> start businesses that you and I have met uh, that are, they're just exceptional people. They're extraordinary people. And I think we're ordinary people. And so the character Jake was kind of based on us because it, he's ordinary. He's, he's not like a world-class athlete or the smartest person in his class or any of those things. That disposition, that optimistic view of things that says, okay, you know, I'm going to wake up in the morning and focus on my strengths. I'll acknowledge my weaknesses. I'll acknowledge the challenges and obstacles and things, but I'll overcome them by focusing on the opportunities. That's the base idea of life is good. And, um, yeah, and really it's it's kind of for us been the base idea of our lives. And it's also been kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy since, you know, here we are 29 years later from, not from when we started with t-shirts, that's 34 years, but 29 years after that idea of those three simple words, life is good and this character, it, the business is successful. And you know, a lot of businesses come and go and in the t-shirt business, everyone told us at the beginning, you got to do new tricks every year. You can't have the same thing. Well, we kind of been doing the same thing for 29 years. I mean, I'm not saying we don't, if there's a fashion to t-shirts, which there is, we have to change with it. So we've been through eras where it's oversized and everything's oversized and eras where it's fitted and then it's oversized again. We've been through eras where everybody wants everything pigmented. They want clean colors, blah, 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 blah. Other than making really good quality t-shirts, it's about the content. And it's about emotionally connecting with people. And so if we're always saying life is good, how do you say it? We have to change the style of artwork. You have to change the exact messages, all those kind of things. But essentially, we are still preaching the same thing. It, it's the idea that, that optimism is the most powerful tool we have for living a happy and fulfilling life. And um, while our stuff's simple and we're simple, that's a big idea. And in those 29 years, lots of people brighter than us and faster and stronger have caught on to those ideas. So you, you don't get any corporations that don't talk about optimism anymore. That wasn't talked about when, when we started. You didn't have any courses at Ivy League schools in America about positive psychology, but that's a whole field that sprung up. You know, we used to study how a mind goes wrong and somebody goes crazy. Okay, we have to study that, but what about when things go right? What is that person doing? So all of this, uh, we welcome all of this and more because more people are realizing that those ideas about optimism aren't trendy, they're timeless, you know, and they're good good for all of us. So um, yeah, it's been been interesting. You're a humble guy. I I would call you exceptional. But one of the great things about Jake, too, is that he's so multifaceted, right? So he, like you said, he's an average guy, but, um, you know, he doesn't play for the Bruins, but he'll go play pond hockey, 
right? He's not going to climb Everest, but he'll go, he'll go for a hike on the weekend. And I think it just appeals to so many people. And the other thing you all have done so well, I think, is you adapt, like you said, to the times in terms of the size of shirts and stuff like that. But I watched you during the pandemic and you're making quarantini shirts and you're making wash your paws, you know, and things that were right for the moment. I give you a lot of credit for that flexibility, but but again, with that guiding principle that optimism is a superpower. So that's behind everything, but you can apply it to the worst of times, like a pandemic. One of the biggest lessons we've learned in, you know, through mistakes and, and you know, kind of falling down through the years and trying to learn from it is that we can't uh, figure out the business on our own. And we're, we're really deep believers that nobody can these days, especially if you're in consumer products, but um, the days where you can be a smart marketing person or C-level leader and figure out everything for your business, we think are over. We're deeply entrenched in this digital age, whether we like it or not. And we've got to allow consumers to co-author the story. So in the pandemic, you know, most of those ideas came from listening. What are our customers doing out there? Everybody's stuck at home. The retailer's doors are closed. What are people doing? And, you know, we heard tremendous things about the connection with pets, with family, but, you know, the, the idea of quarantine, like T-E-A-M, you're stuck with somebody, right? Right. <laughs> and so people's relationship with their dog or cat was, was huge. And it's always been a big thing for Life is Good, you know, right from the beginning with Jake and Rocket. But we really heard how powerful that connection was. So, you know, we started making graphics about the appropriate behavior, like, wash your paws and it had dogs and cats washing their, you know, simple things like that. And like you mentioned, some people were stuck at home and you need something to take the edge off. So the quarantine, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, hopefully people weren't drinking seven days a week, but people were having little, little parties with each other. And we thought that was fun. So we did things with that. And, you know, I think there were a lot of companies doing some similar things, but we sold, I mean, we just really took off with that stuff because I think it was culturally the story, what was happening. So let's talk about it. And that's the way we need to uh, continue to be with Life is Good. It's always interesting to hear how a startup comes up with its big idea. And in this case, to see that nearly 30 years ago, the Jacobs brothers were concerned about how the media were presenting the news. A negative slant for journalists and editors is nothing new. And in 1994, as Bert saw it, they were applying, quote, a pessimistic filtering of what's really going on. And so while the Jacobs brothers acknowledged that the news had a role to play in telling us when bad things were happening, they saw an opportunity to give a more balanced viewpoint. In their case, not through a news outlet, but t-shirts. And more recently, while the COVID pandemic was tough on Life is Good's business, the company stuck to its founding mindset, listened to its customers, and came up with new designs that found the lighter sides of what we were all experiencing during such a tough and dark time. And now turning back to our conversation, while we often talk about optimism versus pessimism, many will describe themselves instead as being a realist. I knew Bert had a point of view on realism, so I asked him to talk about it. Well, realism's a hell of a lot better than pessimism. I think the difference or the, the problem with realism is it lacks imagination. 
realism requires proof of something that already happened, whereas optimism is searching for that next thing. And I think uh, optimists tend to be the people that are the genesis of new ideas. One thing I like to challenge people with is, because this is, as you mentioned, it's a debate that's gone on forever, okay? But whenever people bring it up and they think that, you know, they prefer to be a realist or even a pessimist, I always challenge them to point to the great pessimists or realists in history. And they stumble. It's very difficult to find. It's easy to find great optimists in history, okay? So, you know, unfortunately in our country, race continues to be a topic that we have to grapple with. And we have come a long way, you know, but we still have a ways to go. And certainly everyone would agree, no matter what their perspective, I think, unless they're an idiot, that somebody like Martin Luther King was a great leader. He united people. He brought them together. He brought white and black people together in this country. And he exposed the the, the horrors of racism. And he was very clever in, in how he did it. And, um, you know, he's an example of a great optimist because someone had to see something better on the horizon, you know, march towards that. You know, he's a, a great example. And th- those examples run throughout history. You can find them all over the place. But somebody has to have the vision, the foresight, and it can't just be a realist because a realist at the time might have said, we'll never overcome these things. People will always hate for superficial reasons. I hesitate to say this because people jump on it and say, hey, we still have problems. Of course, we still have problems. But the high majority of educated people, which is the high majority of people in America, now see racism as an awful thing and want to continue fighting against it. That's an amazing thing. And it comes as a result of not just one optimist, but many optimists. Imagine being a woman 50 or 100 years ago you know, um, who didn't have the rights that a, that a man has. Of course, we have a long way to go there too, but we owe the progress we've had to great optimists, to people who could see something um, that's better up ahead of us. And so that's part of what we, what we love about it. Selfishly, we love it because it's healthy. It's, it's just a healthy way to live. There's all kinds of data that shows optimists live longer that uh, optimists in relationships last longer. Um, They succeed more. They make more money. There's lots of selfish reasons to be an optimist, you know. And it's funny because we didn't know most of those academic things at all when we started. But, you know, we always look at it and say, keep it coming. The more we learn about this optimism, we've stepped into something that's just really amazing. You know, it's really great. And it's the gift that keeps giving. I don't know if you ever uh, heard of Hans Rosling. He wrote a book called Factfulness that was sort yes. of a treatise on all these facts that show how much the world is getting better. And he said something that's always stuck with me, which is, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially that it's important for people to hold two thoughts at the same time, which is that things can be bad and getting better at the same time. Yes. So, so an optimist doesn't just think, oh, everything's great. Everyone gets along. Everything's fine. No, there's some really bad things, but we are getting better and we'll keep getting better. And you talked about, you know, name name the the impactful pessimist. I I, I love the way you say that because you, you look at Martin Luther King, the I Have a Dream speech. If you read the full speech, there's some tough stuff in there. He talks about just how bad things have been. But then he gets to that, that vision and the dream. Someone said to me one time, it's not called the I Have a Problem speech. It's I Have a Dream. <laughs> I won't take credit for this one, but but this is even a little better. It doesn't say I have a nightmare. Yeah, right. 
it says, I have a dream. It's, it's very important. And yeah, that it, it is important to acknowledge. Um, you know, I think about that from a business standpoint. If we walk around all day and say, aren't, aren't we so great? You're going to fall. You're going to go in the wrong direction. You'll have to look and, and say, where can we improve? Where are we challenged? All of those kind of things. But you also, the momentum, you know, is really important. And you have to feel good about where you've been. And uh, you have to celebrate your wins and celebrate your successes. We always talk about the analogy of playing a football game. And, you know, can you imagine trying to put the pads on and run out onto the field if you didn't know what yard you were on, or if you thought you were just getting crushed on you know, every play, what's right. the point of it? And that's kind of what, what mass media does all the time. Bad human, bad human. And you kind of, if you listen to it too much, which most people do, you could easily ad- adopt that idea that why try? Why bother? It's so bad out there. But that's why we need more of a balance. We need to celebrate the wins. We need to celebrate all the the great things that have happened. You know, we geek out on statistics and um, we zeroed in years ago on the year 1800 versus today because it's not ancient history. And and by today's, you know, standards of longevity, it's only three to four lifetimes ago. It's a short time ago, right? And um, in the year 1800, globally, 44% of people born on this planet died before six years old. 44%. So, so some of the things that are, you know, kind of demonized in, in the U S right now, like capitalism, right? We're capitalists and we're real believers in, is it perfect? No, but we're real believers in it. And we're believers in making profit and the upward mobility is created for anybody's family who's listening to this. You know, that's the reality. Your family was poor and now you're doing better. Is it perfect? No, but free enterprise did, did a lot of that. Let's pivot to capitalism and business because I know that you are, like you said, you're a capitalist, you're a believer that business can do good things. And and I, I saw a talk you gave where you talked about um, today in the 21st century, where in the past government might have been the most powerful, church might have been the most powerful. You would argue that the most powerful force in the world today is actually business. And so with that comes a huge responsibility. Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, first of all, like statistically, I think it's hard to argue there's data that shows from a standpoint of dollars that are controlled, touch points, even emotions in the world, more of it is controlled by businesses than any other entity. And government was the one who held the power for a long time before. So all of these things still have power in the world, but not so much the kings and queens, I guess they do, but it's limited. Yeah, responsibility comes with it. This idea of businesses solving puzzles and solving problems has always been there. And so you can make a good argument through history that the entity that has solved social and environmental issues more than any has been business. Now, business has also caused a lot of uh, social and particularly environmental problems. But, but I guess my point today is if anyone thinks we're going to solve these problems without businesses, without the power, without the, the manpower, the dollars, the touch points, the outreach, all of that of businesses, they're out to lunch. It's its just not going to happen. And we need businesses. So um, consumers influence businesses tremendously today. And I would argue that they either tear down businesses or build businesses. So if consumers demand that we, the leaders of businesses, 
are making the world better in some way, then we will. And, and you know, it's not small to medium-sized companies like us, like uh, just just small to medium-sized companies. Is it, we tend to get the attention on these things and the big businesses are considered the bad guy. But there's a lot of the biggest businesses in the world that were kind of a, a demon, uh, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and now have turned the corner. Yeah. And in some cases, they didn't just do that because they want to do the right thing. They did that because consumers demand it. And we need to keep demanding these things. And um, that's a lot of power for consumers to have. So I really think in this century, in the 21st century, business is going to end up being the hero. And, and maybe it was the villain through the industrial age and, and the last century. I would argue it was both, you know, um, it did, did a lot of good and it did a lot of harm. Overwhelmingly, I think we can do more good in, in this century, but the responsibility lies not just in business leaders' hands, but in consumers' hands. What products you buy. You know, I, I always think about friends that complain so much about Walmart. Walmart could be uh, said to have, ruined Main Street in their hometown. And, you know, you, the barber had to close down and the, and the hardware store had to close down, et cetera. But I think, you know, I would look at those people and say, well, don't buy your socks at Walmart. You know what I mean? If you don't, if you don't want them to, you, you, they empowered Walmart, you know? And, and I think Walmart's a good example where they, yeah, they might've done some damage, but they also do a tremendous amount of good with their profit and, um, and what they end up doing now and in the future is dependent on what consumers guide them to do. All of us businesses need the consumers. We need their dollars. We need you to love us. If you don't love us, we'll go out of business. So, you know, what are we going to trade for that love? We, we have, you have to tell us what's important to you, and that's what we'll do. It's really simple. And I think increasingly you also need the love from your employees. There's this huge power shift, it seems to me, especially since the pandemic in terms of employers versus employees and this notion of, no, actually, I'm not going to come into the office. I'd rather work from home and actually telling your boss that, you know, so yeah. if you have if you have a mission like life is good or you have people who feel like they're there for a good purpose and they're going to change the world and make it better, you have a huge leg up on someone who's just making widgets or polluting. I think you're 100% right. There, there's huge advantages to doing these things, even if you do them just because you have a big heart. We've realized through the years benefits like that, and we have one of, if not the lowest turnover in the apparel industry, uh, if that's the industry we're in, or retail. I mean, we don't lose people. We, we really hold on to our people, and um, I think a lot of it has to do with they feel good about being at Life is Good. They feel that they're helping children who really need it through our Kids Foundation when they, you know, when they just do a good job working in the IT department or the marketing department or, or, or they're working out in the warehouse or whatever they're doing. And that's important. Another thing we've noticed is that our staff doesn't feel obligated to spend their weekend volunteering to do something. They actually can go relax, have a bike ride, go to, go to their, you know, kids' football game, put their feet up, sleep in, do whatever it is you should do on a weekend to recharge Whereas, unfortunately, a lot of people feel guilty about their job and, and the organization they work for, and they go feel they have to give up their weekend to volunteer. Well, that, that's heroic, but those people will burn out. And so I think part of the reason we don't lose people is they don't burn out. They have a life outside of work, and we really try to help them enjoy that instead of uh, trying to make them feel they've got to do something seven days a week that has purpose, quote unquote, you know? 
So now we've heard Bert's blunt take on realists. They lack imagination. And he's also challenged us to point to the great pessimists or realists in history. It's a tough question. We owe the progress that we have, he says, quote, to great optimists, unquote. And as you can hear, for all his lightheartedness, Bert is also very serious about what he sees as the power of business in our society, and that with that power comes responsibility. He also extends that responsibility to consumers, that voting essentially with their dollars can reward businesses they believe are doing things the right way. And lastly, I completely agree with Bert when he says that running a business with good values is also a huge plus in attracting and retaining great people. And now back to Bert. One of the values that Life is Good celebrates is gratitude. And since we believe at the Optimism Institute that there is an important relationship between gratitude and optimism, I asked him about it. But tell me your thoughts on gratitude, what it's meant to you and your business. And I know uh, you, you mentioned your foundation. I'd love to talk some more about that as well. But some of the, the thank you letters you get and some of the people you've interacted with who come from such hardship but are grateful for what they have and appreciate that today's better than it was in 1800. Talk about gratitude. We didn't have gratitude really on our radar. We hadn't really identified it. And as we started growing this Life is Good community, the people who wrote us the most interesting and compelling letters were not the people on Easy Street. They were people who were going through really difficult things. They were going through chemotherapy. They were rehabbing after being in car accidents. They had a child who's autistic. They, you know, all these difficult things. But we noticed something in those letters that people always took the time to point out what they're grateful for and the, the blessings in their lives. And, you know, we would have had to have been dummies not to recognize it. It was so obvious because you get these letters and you start circling things and underlining things and saying, hey, what's the common threat? What Because what we're trying to understand our customer, who's our customer. And there are people that face really difficult things. So we decided to start honoring those people and making T-shirts about gratitude. And sure enough, those T-shirts sold really well and connected really well with, with the Life is Good community. So there is a connection. And, you know, as we look back on it now, I, I think the idea is that if you choose to be what we call a rational optimist, that's somebody that recognizes there's difficulties in the world, but overcomes them by focusing on the opportunities, then by definition, you have to sort of tally things and you have to look around and say, where do I have an advantage? What am I lucky for? You know, so as an example, you and I can both see. You know, we might need readers these days, right? But uh, but we can see, and some people are born without that ability. Well, that's an advantage, and we should be grateful for that advantage. I shared at the beginning that our family was economically challenged when I was growing up. Okay, but uh, as I look back on it, I'm grateful that we weren't in a worse situation. Some people, uh, the, the family ends up homeless and has nowhere to sleep. And so, you know, we might have had a challenging situation. I also mentioned that we're, we grew up in a great town, Needham, Massachusetts. And, you know, it's a beautiful place. And I think if we didn't grow up there, we, we might have ended up in trouble. You know, I, there's a lot of uh, um, people on my father's side of the business that, that are dead today in my generation or in jail. And, and if we ended up growing up in the city instead and had the same challenges, 
we might have ended up with the wrong crew. And, you know, I grew up in this nice town. I have the same, you know, four or five friends that are best friends of mine that I've had since grade school. And they've been a great influence on my life. So I think the gratitude thing comes part and parcel pretty quickly with with optimism. And um, our whole codification, you know, our take on it is that there's 10 things like gratitude, and they all come as a result of deciding to be a rational optimist. And there are things like authenticity, you know, knowing who you are and acting like it, Uh, creativity, compassion, uh, fun, a sense of humor. They're timeless things that you're much more apt to grab a hold of if you make the decision to be an optimist. And gratitude's, you know, as important as any of them. Love, you know, love is arguably the most important. You're much more likely to see love, engage in love, give love, recognize love if you're an optimist than you are a pessimist. And so so those superpowers, they're they're the strengths that we say Jake and his dog Rocket have, and they get them through just about anything. And those are our strengths too. And and I think those are the strengths of your ancestors and mine and anyone who made it through much harder times than, than we are right now. They did so with those. And those of us that worry about our children and our children's children, et cetera, if they're going to have a chance, if they've got a prayer in this world, it's those same superpowers. It's gratitude and love and creativity and courage and all of these things. Uh, so it's it's funny because, you know, we're, with the business, life is good. We we package these things. We we didn't create any of them. You know, we, we these things are, as I said, timeless. They've been around forever. We just have our own way in, in a, a down-to-earth way of kind of presenting them on T-shirts. Our whole objective with the business is to emotionally connect with people and get them to wear things on their chest that we think make the world a better place. It's really simple, but it's also really fun once we went from, you know, tens and hundreds of people helping us do that. Now we have millions of people who every day help us spread those messages. And I'll tell you, like, we're a private company, so we we still, you know, sit in a little room like this and try to figure out what to do next. And we still make lots of mistakes and all that. But now we've got help from millions of people. And that's a, that's a charge. That, that really feels powerful. It feels great. It feels great to relate to. You know, we all want to be part of a tribe. I think where we're going, you know, humanity is moving away from tribes that are superficial, you know, like, like race and gender and uh, sexuality and all of those kind of things. And we're moving towards tribes that are more accepting of the differences there that realize those aren't the things that matter and define our differences. And instead, what I like the idea of what team you want to be on. You want to be on the pessimist team or the optimist team? <laughs> Come join us. It's more fun, man. Exactly. You know? My background's in media, and you, you correctly pointed out that the media, particularly the news media, really puts a spotlight on so many things that are bad. So I'm trying to use my background and my enthusiasm to cover another side. And hopefully there are ripple effects. The more people hear about yeah, this, the more. It's great. I love it. And I think there's I think there's more people in media doing what you're doing. So I really appreciate it. But then with your t-shirts and you were hinting at it, it's amazing though. If I'm walking down the street and I see someone wearing one of your shirts and it says something about gratitude, it makes me stop and think, yeah, what am I grateful for? There's such a powerful ripple effect. And as you continue to grow... I, I hope you appreciate that. It sounds like you do. It, it's really a powerful thing. 
Yeah, we we really do, and I think it's it's easy for us too to be grateful for it and and not kind of take credit for it all. We feel super lucky to be, um, you know, involved in this whole thing and experiencing this whole thing. But it's never, you know, one I think good and healthy thing about our organization and the brand life is good is it's not about Johnny and I. It, it really hasn't, you know, it, it is in the fact that we're human beings, but yeah. this is about everybody. It's about the, the receiver of the message. So the person wearing the shirt walking down the street and the person walking past them. And that's that, you know, we, we think that, um, if all continues to go well, the, the best work that life is good does will be after we're dead and gone. You know I mean? Like nobody gets out of this place alive, you know? And so one day you're going to go. And when we do, if this could be an organization that continue to help people and continue to open minds, that would be a great thing. I think if, uh, if we get to that point, like we're pretty focused on continuing to work now for an indefinite amount of time because we enjoy it. But if we get to that point where we're old and gray and, you know, we're, we're not much used to the business anymore or we're just too tired to do it or something, it would be really great. You know, I mean, people ask, like, what are the goals? We would just like to know that the organization is, continues to grow and spread optimism. That, that's enough. You know, that would be great. I want to make sure before we finish that we get back to talking about your foundation. I, I believe it was Life is Good Foundation. Now it's Playmakers, I think. Or you, or you? Yeah, Playmakers. It hasn't it hasn't changed in what we do in any way. But the Playmakers was always the title we used on the programmatic side okay. for social workers. But the customer facing just said the Life is Good Kids Foundation. The nonprofit actually has more momentum even than the for profit company. And is doing great things. And, and we work with children that face trauma from poverty and violence and life-threatening illnesses. So we work in uh, homeless shelters and foster care centers and oncology departments. And um, anywhere where the emotional health of a child threatens their lives. And um, so it's very connected to what life is good is about emotional health. But we decided to go full on very recently with the Playmaker Project because it, it's really kind of built its its own following. And it's a point of difference since so many people have a foundation out there. So, yeah, we're real, we're real excited about the continued work there. And on the for-profit side, we learn a lot from the nonprofit side and, and from people that are facing these really difficult challenges because it's the same superpowers that help them. It's the same ideas. And we're, we're still spreading optimism. We're just spreading it to young children that need it the most. Oh, it's beautiful. And, and you talked about the long-term viability of life as good as a company. You've kind of answered how that's going to happen. I mean, the, your brand reaches out to young people in the worst of situations, to older people, to everyone in between. And I think, um, and again, back to being a place where people want to work and feel good about that kind of work is incredible. And, and back to what you were saying about capitalism and business, you know, the, the wealth that's created and the resources it provides, you know, it can line people's pockets and lead to lavish lifestyles. It can also get poured into something like your foundation. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. You know, one thing we notice in interviewing young people these days and people in their twenties, just coming out of college and even thirties, I don't know what what are they right now, Gen Y? I I lost track. I just know I'm not a baby boomer. I oh, I just miss. I don't even not even sure what I am. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it it doesn't matter. Like I think that there's so much negative uh, information about 
what these people are facing. Um, but we find some uh, a high percentage of th- these younger people right now really care about this planet and really care about um, not just making a living and making the most money, but having a positive impact. So they ask more questions in the interviews about the Kids Foundation and about Playmaker Project than they than they do anything else. And I'm I'm impressed with that, and we're hiring a lot of them because because of it because they really just seem like they genuinely want to make a difference. So I don't think it's something we hear enough about. But um, and I think their focus on not waiting until they retire, but having a great lifestyle now. You know, God bless them. That's smart. That's, that's, I, I don't I don't discredit anybody for that. I mean, they do ask for the moon a little bit, and, <laughs> yeah. and sometimes we gotta laugh. You know, yeah. that somebody's there for we are, we are paying you a salary. You do have to you do have to work. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But it's impressive, you know, what their focus is and and what matters to them. And I think uh, you know they've seen their parents stress out, and they've seen their parents and generations before not have the happiest lives. And so I, I hope that they can overcome. You know, the challenge is all this uh, focus on anxiety and caused by your digital life versus your, your real life and all of that. That's scary stuff. But there are some underlying great values in these next generations. Well, Bert, we've covered a lot of ground and uh, I can't thank you enough. You're a huge inspiration to me. I, I knew your brand way before I ever got to know you at all. But there's a fine line. You, you personify the brand in all the right ways and you're a real inspiration. Thank you. I appreciate it, buddy. Let's 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 maintain our friendship and stay in touch. And uh, I love what you're doing too. It's uh, it's not easy for people to kind of reinvent themselves and do something new. And this is great. I hope you're enjoying it, and and I hope it continues to be successful. I'm really enjoying it, and because of hanging out with people like you. So thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Have a good day. Take care, Bert. hope you enjoyed this episode of Blue Sky with Bert Jacobs. And if you haven't checked out Life is Good, there may be a retail store near you, but if not, their website is loaded with fun t-shirts and other apparel and items that will make you smile and help spread the company's belief in the power of optimism. And if you did like what you heard today on the Blue Sky podcast, I hope you'll check out more episodes on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also that you'll check out the Optimism Institute on social media. Until next time, I'm your host, Bill Burke, and thanks for listening to Blue Sky. Blue Sky.